Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Um, I'm going to be reading from Mark, the 10th chapter, verse 46. While you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of a background on where we are in Scripture. Jesus is heading to Calvary. Uh, people are making the long trek up to Jerusalem for Passover. The roads are busy, crowded with pilgrims, traveling pilgrims for the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover. They're traveling through Jericho, which is a major thoroughfare uh, for many people coming from the south to get to Jerusalem. And I don't know about you, but if you travel the interstate, especially on a holiday weekend, like a Memorial Day weekend. Everybody's in a hurry. Uh, They all have destinations and places to go, and they don't like being around crowds. And So the atmosphere, as they're going through that Jericho, that little bottleneck on the way to Jerusalem, is people are, are in a hurry and in a rush and not really paying attention to the things that are around them. <clears throat> We know that Jesus is going to be rejected by the Jews and betrayed into the hands of the Gentiles and not so long in the distant future hung on a Roman cross. He's surrounded by all types of people on this pilgrimage. They're all around him. They're bumping up against him. They're brushing against him. But many do not even know who he is. They've, some have heard uh, the stories. Some have heard his reputation but they're really blind to who he is. The disciples are blind to really who he is. And so when you come to Jericho, and if you, if you know the, what Jericho means, it's to smell, it's a place of fragrance. That's what Jericho means. It's a place of fragrance and to smell. It's kind of interesting, to, if you know it, how appropriate it was for Jesus to be in the city of fragrance because he's referred to as the rose of Sharon and he's the lily of the valley. So truly, fragrance, the sweet smell of salvation, had visited the city of fragrance. And like I said earlier, surely, to some, his reputation had preceded him. I know that because... As we look in the earlier in that chapter, we come across a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as that, as the Savior passed that way, well, I'm sort of going back. He climbed up the tree and he said, and the Lord said, "Can you finish? You come down." You remember that childish song we sang that in. A few were Methodist or Lutheran. Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house to say. But my point is Zacchaeus was aware that Jesus was passing by. And there was something inside Zacchaeus' heart that caused him to want to get to where he was. But let me go back to verse 46 of chapter 10. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude... Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now, I I always find it interesting when 
the author, in this case Mark, uses the name of the person that's receiving the miracle. That doesn't always happen. If you remember the woman with the issue of blood and, and lots of people that, that were raised, the widow of Nain and her son who was raised, we don't really always get the name of the individual that, that receives a miracle. But Mark, as he's writing this, remembers Bartimaeus because there's something significant about the story, so significant that the name is mentioned alongside the incident. In verse 47, it says, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I want to point something out here. Um, most people had no idea that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the called out one, the one that they were looking for. Even the disciples, I don't think, really recognized him as Messiah. They knew there was something special about him, but they really didn't grasp the, grasp the nature of who he truly was. But this blind man refers to him as the son of David, which was a name for the Messiah. So even in his physical blindness, he had spiritual sight. Now, I know that Paul says that we can see, but not clearly. Now I see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. But even in his blindness, he had to percept the perception to see that something was different about this man. So I guess what I'm saying is, you don't have to have 20-20 vision to find your way to the kingdom of heaven. Now, as in many cases, people don't like disturbances. Then many warned him to be quiet. Wow, maybe they should, maybe they should read their Bible. What, where does quiet fit into worship? in pray, prayer and praise. My Bible says that that's the opposite. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Out of the depths of my heart, I cry unto thee, O Lord. So here we have a man that perceives there's something different about Jesus, recognizes him as the son of David, and begins to cry out to him as the Bible says he ought to, and he's rebuked for it. Be quiet. But you know what happens when you tell someone that is desperate to be quiet? They make all the more racket. I think he had to make more racket to cover up the noise that they were making. He cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still, and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Now, I, I wonder if that be of good cheer is, All right, you big baby. You made a scene, a big enough scene, that he's, he's going to listen to you. So be of good cheer, you got your way. I want to tell you, the one that gets the most food in, at a table of a, in a large family is the one that's the most aggressive. Believe me, when we were growing up, it was tight. And you know who got the most food? I was just a small, 
innocent, shy young man. That's why I only weighed 150 pounds when I got married, because I was not aggressive enough at the table. Yeah, <laughs> I'm aggressive now, right? But the Bible tells me, in the day that you seek me with all of your heart, is the day in which you'll find me. Now, how many people in Jericho are we aware of that received a healing on that visit? Well, I know that Zacchaeus, he was delivered from his covetousness and he was brought into the kingdom of God, but it wasn't a physical healing. It was the one that made the most noise. It was the one that was the most aggressive. And I, I think about how the church has become almost complacent and submissive to the will of the world. You know, just do your own thing, worship like the sign over the Methodist store in our sanctuary, in our old church. The sign was, enter in reverence, worship in silence. Wow, that certainly doesn't fit the Pentecostal model. The Bible says the kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm interested in acquiring heaven. And there's a lot of things wrestling for my attention, trying to divert me from that goal. I have to wrestle with myself and with the things that I face to enter into the presence of God. I'm just not going to drift into it at all. I have to determine that whatever I want from God, I am willing to fight for and pay the price for. Because the Bible says many people have need, but not all are fulfilled. Again, you have not because you ask not. And what does that seem to insinuate? Does God have enough to take care of everyone today? Well, absolutely. There's no, his hand isn't short that he can't deliver. The storehouses of heaven are certainly overflowing. But why is there need? Because people do not seek nor ask or knock. <clears throat> this young man determined that he was not going to stay this way he was. If there was any hope, if God had any mercy, he was asking for it. <clears throat> and throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. Now, I, I, you look at this and you, what does the garment represent here? Why did he take off his garment? Well, you could look at some commentaries and some commentaries will say he was a blind man and Though their, their garments were long and he didn't want to take a chance that in his approach to Christ that he might trip over his garment. I think in a spiritual way, he was removing the cloak of his self-pride. He was opening up and taking off the things that actually hid who he truly was. And in my approach to God, I first must believe that he is, like this man did. He that cometh to God must first believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Before I can cry out to God, I must first recognize who he truly is. I have to confess, and maybe some of you will disagree with me, I, I came across a book at the Regency the other day, and lots of times residents, when they're done with the book, will leave them out for people to take if they want to read them. And this was a pretty popular book, and I know a lot of people in 
Pentecost were reading them. It was called The Shack. And I thought, you know, I've never read the book. I've heard people say that it's a great book. And <clears throat> I thought, well, why not? So I, I picked it up, and it started out pretty good. And of you, of you, you of those that have read it realized that the character in the book loses his daughter. She's kidnapped and killed. And he's upset along with his family, and he can't reconcile this action to God. He couldn't believe that God would allow this event to happen. And I don't want to ruin the whole book for you, but it talks about how he gets an invitation from God in his mailbox to come and visit him where the, da the daughter was actually killed. They found the place where she was killed and her garments, the bloody garments. Now, the author of the book says that he, he's writing it for a real person and that this event, if I read it correct, actually did happen. And whether this is exactly true, he knows not. He's just recording the story. And I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of people wanted to pick it up because this was supposedly a true event, that God had actually sent him an invitation and told him to come out to what they called the shack. And that's how the title of the book came about. The shack is the place where the daughter was killed. And so far I'm into this because I can see, I can see the, the father wrestling with all the emotions that he has concerning this terrible tragedy in regards to his daughter. And I can relate to how he must feel. And I, I'm actually quite anticipatory of wondering when he gets to the shack, what will be the relationship between God and him? And I'm saying, in a way, subconsciously, I'm hoping that this truly did happen. And I, I can maybe get a glimpse of God's character, and even if it's an imagination. But anyways, I get there, and uh, it's still going pretty good. And then all of a sudden, God appears, and he appears as a, a black woman. And um, she says, I'm God. Okay, I can, I'm sort of taken back a little bit by this, but I say, hang in there. Maybe there's something going on here. And his wife had always called God Papa. That's how she prayed. She said when she would pray, she'd say, oh, Papa. And this lady said, I'm Papa. And he says, well, that's the name that my wife uses to pray to God. He said, yeah. And I thought, well, he says, I need to appear to you in the way that you need to be appeared to. In other words, you don't have a good relationship with your dad, so I'm appearing to you as a woman because you'll have a better chance of relating to me. And I don't want to get too much into the book, but what happened is all of a sudden the sun comes in. And the sun is walking in, and this is just like a family scene, and the Holy Spirit comes in. And the Holy Spirit's a gardener, and the son's working out in the shop, and she's cooking, and it's sort of like a family situation, and it's really starting to trouble me more and more every paragraph. Because the Holy Trinity is living in one house, and she's cooking meat, and, <clears throat> and I'm saying now, I'm trying to find out why everybody's so excited about this, because this was recommended it. I believe at district conference. And I'm saying there's certainly got to be something in here that makes it a merit because right now I feel like chucking the thing in the garbage can. <clears throat> and the more I read it, 
the more it irritated me. And if you've ever read the book and something happens after the point of the house with the cooking, tell me about it because I can't read any more. Because I know who God is. <clears throat> You're trying to bring God down to my level, into the human level, to make, to make God dressed in a skirt making what was she making? She was making some sort of pie, but she'd also killed some animal. She was cooking that too. I don't want a God made in my image. I want you to realize that I'm made in his image. I, I, don't want, I want to excel to meet a level of spirituality. I don't want a God that's made like me. There was something in Bartimaeus that made him realize that Jesus was not like everyone else he'd ever met. He wasn't like the priest and the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. There was compassion with him. There was mercy. And I think that was one of the things that really attracted Bartimaeus is that this man was different than the rest because he had mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. Did the people around him have mercy? Did they try to get him a little closer to Jesus? Did they help him try to get an answer to his problem? No, they told him to be quiet. You know, I have this vivid imagination. I, I think, I don't know if there's something wrong with me or not, but sometimes I daydream and I get lost. And sometimes people will be talking to me and I'll be in a different state. You know, like, come on, Steve, concentrate. <laughs> I, I have to share this with us. Last week we had our, our panel over at Waukesha Memorial. And I remember I told you we, we, I was on part of a three-member panel for a, a conference on dementia and Alzheimer's. And it was a really big event. And I was tired that day. And they're asking questions of the panel members. And I'm saying, Steve, come on, pay attention. They're going to ask you a question a little bit. Don't make them ask you again. And because I'm drifting off. I'm tired. I'm drifting off like some of you are. You're, you're out on the campground right now thinking maybe it's going to get nicer today. But the thing was, he that has his mind stayed on God will be consistent in everything he does. Blessed is the man whose mind is stayed on thee. Well, how do I do that? I, I'm drifting in and drifting out. All of a sudden, I lost the thought I was going to say two minutes ago because I switched to a different one. I must train my mind to focus on what's true, what's pure, what's holy, what's of good report. The Bible says I've got to think on these things. I've got to train my mind to do what's right. Bartimaeus was focusing on Christ and all of the distractions that were going on around him did not mean anything. Remember, he made his livelihood how? He was a baker. The people that were telling him to be quiet were the people that probably dropped a penny in his box. He was willing to alienate himself from his own support to find his way to Christ. He's blind. He's a beggar. That's how he exists. 
I guess I can relate to Bartimaeus because I'm like him or I was like him. I was a beggar living in spiritual poverty. I was blind. I didn't even know uh, who God was. I didn't know what he could do or how he even felt about me. The people in the world that say that they see are most necessarily the ones that are totally blind. Beware lest you say that you see, lest you are an heir and are blind. But see, he was not as blind as the people that were around him. He had a glimpse of who Christ was, but the people that were around him were totally blind as to who he, Jesus, was and what his purpose was. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 18, and Romans 3.11. Ephesians 4, let's see if I can get there, Rick, real quick. And the race is on. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, People that are, are truly blind are the ones that can't see the things that are invisible. And then Romans, the third chapter, verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. See, what can't they see? They can't see the results of sin. They can't see the horrors of sin. They can't see the end of sin. They can't see the loving Christ that's came to redeem them from sin. They can't see the, the final resting place for all those that disobey God. They're truly and unrevocably blind without him. They can't see their death. They can't see damnation. They can't see that they're abiding under wrath as they live in a world that's condemned. They can't see the beauty of Christ. They can't see the beauty of the cross and the beauty of a Savior. I am here today worshiping God because one day I was blind, but I received my sight. There was one day that I realized who I was, where I was going, and how dependent I was on something other than myself, and that was on Christ. But not only are people blind, but they're beggars. Those that live outside the church, they, would, they might think themselves uh, wealthy in the materialistic things of the world, but truly, in the sight of God, they're poor and wretched and naked, naked and vile. They may be able to pay their bills on earth, but what about the bills that need to be repaid in the spiritual realm? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How are you going to pay the bill for sin? Don't they know that their poverty is poverty stricken without Christ? They're morally and spiritually bankrupt. They don't have enough in their spiritual account to, to live one day in eternity. They're lost. They're spiritual paupers in the sight of God. 
Let's look at the lost sinner for a minute. The lost sinner is blind. He can't see God. He's deaf. He can't even hear the voice of God. He's crippled. He can't run after God. His hands are withered because he can't work for God. His mind is defiled or weak because he can't think of God. His tongue is tied because he can't even speak to God. His heart is wounded because he can't even live for God. He's got the disease of leprosy because he's unclean and defiled and cannot stand in the presence of God. And worst of all, this man is a dead man because outside of Christ there is no life. Who's the beggar? He can't sense God. He can't feel God. He can't know God. He has no desire to God. He can't love God or come to God on his own. The lost sinner, if you really want to look at the picture, is in a very tragic condition. I feel sorry for you Christians. You can't do anything. What do you mean? That's like going, going to a hospital and finding somebody that's a quadriplegic feeling sorry for someone that's running track. You understand. I can do everything. Matter of fact, God loosed my tongue. I could speak in heavenly language. He released me from pain and suffering and of an eternity separated from God. I'm free from all that stuff. Who's the bird that's living in the cage and who's the one that's living in the tree? I can, I can soar to heights and see things that other people can't see. That's like the little parakeet in the, in the, in the cage yelling out the window and telling people that are the birds in the trees, I feel so sorry for you. <laughs> yeah. And certainly don't feel sorry for the birds around our place. Some of them are getting so fat they can't even take off anymore because of all the bird seed. And I think about how my wife is a type of God because, and don't get this wrong, she, those birds have an abundance. I, I don't know how birds can eat 50 pounds of bird seed a week. How do you eat that much? Honey, I don't even feed the horses that much grain. Here, look at that fat little sparrow. He's trying. He's trying. <laughs> but see, in the kingdom of God, it's the same way. The table's spread. You can eat as much as you want. Now, the little poor little bird that's sitting up in the tree that's starving to death, I don't have any sympathy for him. There's four inches of bird seed on the ground. Fly down, eat whatever you want. You know what? You come to church, you say, God, I feel so, oh, so hungry. And God says, well, why don't you belly up to the trough? Why don't you read your Bible? Why don't you start worshiping me? Why don't you start praising me? There's more than enough for everyone here. And I'm not going to share, my brother shared a story with me yesterday, and I, I thought it was awesome. I hope it shares it with you today, but I'm not going to take, take away from what he shared with me. It was awesome. But 
we don't need to be beggars. What we need to do is we need to understand who it is we serve. Bartimaeus' cry was a passionate cry. I, I think about when I came to God that Friday night, and it wasn't even during a church service. <laughs> there was no one there except me. But I was the Bartimaeus. I was the one that was desperate. I was the one that came into the church in the dark, knelt on the floor, and never knelt at an altar in my entire life. Never in my life had I kneeled at an altar in any church. But my life was broken and, and drifting fast down that, that river towards the falls into eternity. And I realized I needed help and I needed it now. Was I quiet? I was probably so loud that the pastor came over to see if I was destroying the place. But how I seek him usually determines on how hungry I am for him. Remember, the Bible says, and I'll quote it again, he that seeketh me with all of his heart, the passionate cry of Bartimaeus caused him to be the one person in Jericho that day that received a healing. And why was he different than anyone else? Because he chose to cry out to God with all of his heart and ask for one thing, mercy. You know, and I, I think when I look at salvation, salvation is a gift, but it's only obtained through grace and the mercy of God. To receive the gift of salvation, I have to go through God's mercy. I think about what Bartimaeus must have been thinking. If Jesus can do all things, I wonder if he can heal me. So he cried the more. He may have been blind, but he saw a lot more than everybody else did that day. I think sometimes the thing that limits us and the world too is our comprehension of God, who he really is. And I, I think that's probably one of the reasons that the shack is, I don't even think I'm going to take it back and put it back in the place where I got it from because I don't want people to see God like that. How do I see God? How do you perceive God? If you were to write an essay today, and that essay, the title of the essay that I asked you to write was, please describe in 2,000 words or less, your perception of who God is and what he is in relationship to you and your relationship to him. What would you write? Well, God is great. Well, yeah, I'm not talking about that. In your own words, he's been my best friend. When I've been sick, he's come into the room and he's touched my body. When I've been so low that I, I had no hope, he gave me hope when I had none. 
when I was troubled and I was afraid, he came into the room and he brought me a sense of peace and understanding. He sits on the throne of, of the earth and of all that was ever created. He's awesome beyond my expectations. He fills all space and time. The stars are his spies that look upon the earth. But yet, he knows everything about me. He knows everything about my body, every molecule, every action, any interaction, every thought. He feels my pain when I'm in pain, and he feels my joy when I, I have joy. He laughs with me when I laugh, and sometimes he shares in my sorrow. That's the kind of God that I have. But I stand in awe of him in reverence. That's the thing about the shack that bothered me, to think that I don't... Do you walk in there and it's just like walking into the family. The Trinity's living in the same house and eating at the same table. And that's not my, how I see God portrayed. I stand like Isaiah with, as a man with unclean lips. When I stand in the presence of God, I don't know whether I should lay on my face or even look into his face. Am I even worthy to do that? but yet I want to be there. And so this morning, what's a poor blind beggar to do? Realize who he is and remember who he is and fight through the crowds just like the woman with the issue of blood and so many else like the Roman centurions and things like that that fought their way to Christ through the spectators to receive the mercy and benefit that God had for him or for them. And don't you ever complain about not having enough. Because it's all here. You just have to show God that you really want it. So let's stand together. I think we're going to stop right there. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.